Amen. Good morning. Will you guys turn to Acts chapter 12? And while you're doing that, I want to use something that Pastor Joey just said. Uh, it's kind of a, a, a way into this message. I don't know he's going to say that, but it, it fits well. Uh, if we haven't met, my name is Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here. I have the privilege of teaching most, most Sundays. And uh, as we work through this passage today, uh, again, so something Pastor Joey just said really kind of strikes at the heart of what we're going to talk about. And he just said, hey, I don't know why I'm surprised that God is growing our church. I don't know why I'm surprised that on the heels of sending out two different church plants that God continues to grow our church. That's what God does. Like, why do we get surprised when God does what God does, right? And maybe it's because we think, I'm not sure he can use us in the middle of it or, or whatever it might be, but God does that, and he chooses to use us. And so really, that's kind of the, the thrust of today's message, and so you'll see that in just a minute. Will you guys please stand with me? I want to read the passage that comes right before where we're going to be, and each week we stand up. For those of you that are physically able, if you're not, please remain seated. That's okay. We do that just to give honor to God's word, knowing this is, it's God's word, not my word. It's, it's not our ideas that change life. It, it's, it's God's word. And so I want to read the passage just before Acts 12. It's Acts 11, 19 through 26. Let me read it over us. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church, and they taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Generations Church, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, as you have given us yourself, the word become flesh. You've also given us these words, these written words superintended by you, given to us by God for us, that they would challenge us where we need to be challenged, that they would correct us where we need to be corrected, where, where it would encourage us where we need to be encouraged, and where it would love us in the times that we just need to be loved. Your word is living and active. It's just as true today as it was when it was written. Jesus, you watch over your church and you have given us your eternal word so that by it we might be made to look more and more and more like you. Jesus, would you come and speak, just as Pastor Joey said, may I fade in the background somewhere. And will you come, will you speak to us? We're your church and we need your words. We need to hear your voice. You are our God. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You guys can be seated. Those of you that have the app, you know that there are notes. All the slides we put on the screen, they're in your app. If you're a note taker, that way you don't have to write frantically. Uh, they are in there. Main idea for today is right here. The church is called to truly believe the truth that we proclaim. Right? Just like Pastor Joey said, listen, I, can't, I'm, I'm, I don't know why I'm surprised that God does what he does. That's, that's what God does. Why should I be surprised? This is our main idea today. The church is called to truly believe the truth that we proclaim. We're, we're called to believe the things we say, believe the things that God has given us, believe the things 
that God has proclaimed about himself. So Acts 12, starting in verse 1, it says this. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. So here's where we pick up in the story. So clearly, we're 12 chapters into Acts, so we're about a third of the way in, right about there. And we've seen everything from Jesus resurrected and ascended into heaven to the birth of the church, the expansion of the church. We've seen the first martyr of the church, now the second martyr of the church. We've seen the church pushed outside of its ethnicity. We've seen it pushed outside of its boundaries, its geographical boundaries. We've seen it pushed out, and his persecution drives it out. The message of the gospel continues to move outward to the ends of the earth, just like Jesus said the mission of the church is, that we are called to be witnesses, as he told the early believers here in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, and that's us. We are the ends of the earth. It's pretty much on the other side of the globe for us, right? From where all this started, we really are a piece of what the church was called to do then. And so persecution continues to drive leaders out and to drive people of Christianity out outside its boundaries. And as they do that, this persecution continues and continues. If you're a note taker, Jesus said we would have hard times. Matthew 5 is a good example in the Beatitudes. John 17 and his high priestly prayer. Our challenge is to live out our faith in the midst of hard times. My wife and I were having a discussion about uh, some, some message that she listened to and how uh, this person was being critical of uh, some common messages that we hear on TV or in churches today, power of positive thinking, just, you know, name it, claim it, believe it, it'll be yours. You know, if you give enough money, God's going to make you rich. All these things that, that are out there that are truly being proclaimed. And as we press down into Scripture and we look at what Jesus has to say to us and we look at the first century church, we look at the people that knew Jesus, walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, ate meals with Jesus, were trained by Jesus. And what we see is a church riddled with persecution. In John 17, Jesus says, they hated me, they're going to hate you. Like tough times are coming your way, but that's okay. I, I'm, not, I'm not asking, as, as Jesus prays, he says, God, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. I'm asking that you would keep them in the world. They are my witnesses. But protect them, guard them, keep them safe. Be with them as they walk through tough times. So as we look at the world today, we often look and we talk about persecution going on in other places. And we talk about the shifts in our culture where Christians have been marginalized here in this culture in some ways. But really, God has just told us, listen, it, it isn't by saying some magic prayer or even by being baptized or taking communion or whatever it might be. Your problems don't all go away. What happens is God kind of rebirths you into a, into a follower of Jesus, and, and you, get to, you engage in this world in a different way, and you, you begin to engage, in fact, what Paul will write later to the Ephesians, in a spiritual battle, a battle against, between good and evil. Like a battle's not always a fun time, right? And Jesus said, this is, you're going to you really Hell and evil is going to wage war against you. You're going to struggle, but don't be afraid. I'm with you. My spirit lives inside you. I've equipped you for this. But a lot of times we walk into churches or we hear a message maybe on a radio or a TV, we get this sense that if we just, if we just become followers of Jesus, everything in life is going to be easy. <laughs> Clearly, it's not always, right? So, 
And I would say my experience has been, it has been incredibly challenging. Better than my life before Jesus, but incredibly challenging. Better because Jesus has equipped us for what he's called us to. Verse 3, it says, when Herod saw that it pleased the Jews. So let me pause here. If you're, if you're kind of our guest today or if you're new catching up to this story in Acts, the church is birthed in Jerusalem. The church, what we would call Christians today, means followers of Jesus, right? That began in a Jewish setting. We talked a lot about this uh, in the last few weeks. But as it's birthed into a very Jewish setting, what we have to understand is Judaism is against Christianity. Even though many Jews are believing that Jesus is the very promise of God, that Jesus is God who came in the flesh, who died for them, the Savior they'd been longing for, the Messiah they'd been waiting for. So Judaism is, is, is split over those who follow Jesus and those who don't. And the bulk of them don't. And this this. New faith in a Messiah and God in the flesh and the promises of God takes root in a, the largest Jewish population on the planet 2,000 years ago. So Herod, a kind of marginally Jewish guy who doesn't live like a Jew at all, who is a king over this area, when he sees that persecuting followers of Jesus pleases the bulk of the Jews, that's what it's saying, when he sees that it pleases them. So verse 3, and when Herod saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the, the days of unleavened bread, Passover. And when he, had seen, when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending that after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So some of the leadership... I don't even know what I'm saying. So as Christianity is being persecuted, right? Stephen has been martyred. Now James has been martyred. Philip's been driven outside of Jerusalem. This, this Christian sect of Judaism is being persecuted and pushed out. And now the person in charge sees that. It pleases a large voting population, if you will, for him. Right? A large political power for him. As he sees that, and he sees that the death of James pleases them, he now goes for Peter, who is, you can make the case, is one of the largest leaders in Jerusalem right now of Christianity. And so he seizes Peter, he arrests him, and then he kind of goes over the top, four squads on Peter. Not squad, like if you're a millennial, you're thinking, oh, that's my squad, right? I mean, like, I don't mean that, right? I'm, okay, so... <laughs> squadrons of corrections officers around him, keeping him. Do you like my hashtag? It's pretty good, right? Okay, so all right. Not bad for an old guy, right? Okay, so he puts all these people around Peter. The idea is we've got to get through these holidays because they would frown on it if I killed him during the holidays. Okay, so we've got to get through all this. And then I'm going to murder Peter to appease the crowd again. This is swelling political power for him. So he sees this, and he locks him up, and he puts a ton of people on Peter. Verse 5, so Peter was kept in prison. Now listen, but earnest prayer was made to God by the church. Earnest prayer, devout, serious, deep prayers are made by the gathered church for Peter. Understand the setting. James and Peter are very close friends. James just been murdered. These are leaders of the church, right? This is, if you read church history, this is James the Great. He was murdered. He is the second major 
major martyr in Christianity, Stephen, now James, Peter's, now Peter's been imprisoned. Everybody knows what's next. Like Herod's going to kill Peter again in spectacular fashion. So the church begins to gather corporately. Now, this is something lost in the Western world. Now, every fourth Sunday, we gather together for a time of prayer and worship. We call it Selah. Selah is a biblical word or a Hebrew word that means just to pause and reflect. If you're a musician, it's, it's the equivalent of the rest note or the rest symbol, all right? It's just that time to come together as a body of believers, together a church, and pray. And it says they gather together and earnestly pray for Peter. I went by the church this morning on my way here, and we've begun inviting community groups to go by the church and go in and pray over the building and then write, and we've got those paint pens, and to write all over, because we've, we've done all the demo, the floors are bare, the flooring's not gone in yet, to go in and write favorite verses, write things on the ground, that they would just, that as we build this, this would be built on the prayers and the power just of, of, of God and his word and you and your prayers. And so I was going by there. The first group did last night, and I was going by and, and just looking as they spent time around the stage and praying and writing these verses. The church needs to understand what it means to gather together and pray together, that there is something about corporate prayer that is different, that you need to pray. Yes, you need to pray alone. You need to spend time with God alone. You need to pray as a family to pray in your community groups or whatever you do, your ministry groups or whatever it is, but gathering together the body to pray. Now, when Peter goes to prison, their inclination is not to text everybody and tell them to pray. Their inclination is to gather together and spend time in earnest prayer. We're going to see this repeated, but I want you to hear what they do as they gather, as they begin to pray, and, and it uses language like deeply pray together. Verse 6. Now, when Herod was about to bring Peter out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains. And centuries before, the door were, centuries before the door were guarding the prison. So here's where he is. Not only has Herod put four squads on him of soldiers, of jailers, uh, you know, to make sure that he goes nowhere. He's literally asleep, chained to two guards. They, have, they are taking extra precaution to make sure nothing happens to Peter, right? Nothing worse than a political move to take Peter where you're going to go execute Peter and then fumble the ball, right? Not to mix metaphors, but you, you get the point, right? And so they literally have him sleeping chained to two Roman soldiers. Verse 7, and behold, the angel of the Lord stood next to Peter and a light shone in the cell and he struck Peter on the side and woke him saying, get up quickly, and the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. That's a lot of clothes missing for a guy chained to two other dudes, right? That's weird. No, okay. So, and Peter went out and followed him. And he did not know what was being done by the angel was real. But he thought he was seeing a vision. Now, give Peter some credit. He's deeply asleep, right? Chained to these two other guards. And this angel comes in and strikes him on the side. I love he just doesn't talk to him. Like, hey, Peter, wake up. He like strikes him on the side. Like, get up, right? And tells him, get up. His chains fall off. He's like, get dressed. So he starts to get dressed. He's like, no, grab your coat too. We're leaving, right? Like, I need you to go with me. And it says, Peter's trying to figure this out. Like, is this real, right? Am I having a dream right now? This is weird, right? This is not every other night I've had. And so Peter's kind of 
again, imagine he hasn't had his Starbucks yet, and so he's just wrestling through this idea, right? As he's being woken up and things that don't happen are happening, and he's getting told what to do by this angel, which doesn't make it any more comforting to him probably, right? But what God is doing is intervening in Peter's story right now. Why do you think we keep getting told, and we're going to keep getting told, what the church is doing? See, the church is gathered doing what? Two people. Okay, the church is gathered doing what? Praying, good, corporately gathered together, earnestly praying, right? And as they're doing this, here's what's taking place. God is intervening in Peter's life as the church is gathered together, earnestly praying to God for him. Verse 10, and when they had passed the first and second guard, they came along to the iron gate leading into the city, and it opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod from all that the Jewish people were expecting. So it takes him getting down the block, around the corner, through a gate, and free until the angel leaves him, and he's like, Okay, that just happened right now. Like, this is really going on. A miracle just took place. God literally just freed me. I was just a minute ago chained up in a cell with an abundance of guarding. And somehow, some way, God has seen fit to intervene into my life and set me free from this. Those were the things I felt about 20 years ago when after having a 17 year or something like that long addiction through prayer one night, now this had been, many people had been praying for me for a long time, but one prayer of repentance one night in a cell, much like that, God liberated me from a drug addiction. Like God healed me. Yeah, that's an amen moment, that's good, all right? Like that I was freed from something that actually bound me, that actually kept me where I was. Like I feel as miraculous as this moment is, that that was just as miraculous. That that was just as crazy big. And that as each day went by and I stayed clean, which I'd never done before, that that was equally miraculous. I had a, I found out that my stepmom, my sister, who I hadn't talked to in a long time, had been faithfully praying for me for years and they'd gathered people together to pray for me as I was in repeatedly getting in worse and worse trouble. Much like the church was gathered over at John Mark's house praying for Peter, and much like Peter in a cell, not for anything wrong, just as he was freed, I can resonate with this moment. Sometimes you're like, okay, is this a dream? Is this really, is this really real? We question this. Why would we question this? This is what God does. Why would we doubt? This is the kind of thing God does all day long, every day. And yet, we wonder. Answered prayer. God answers the praying church by miraculously freeing Peter from prison. Or you could put freeing Jeff from Jeff, pretty much, right? This is what God does. He answers prayers. 
He calls us. He doesn't promise an immediate answer to everything, but he answers prayers all the time. And he does so very miraculously. Me being healed of a drug addiction, believe you me, ask my wife, it was a miracle. Everybody will tell you it was a miracle. Clearly it wasn't me. God does this. Verse 12, when he, meaning Peter, realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark. So John Mark, the author of the Gospel of Mark. He goes to his mom's house, his family home. It says, now listen, where many were gathered together and were praying, right? So you see a theme here. The church is gathered together praying. God is responding, right? There's prayer beforehand. There's prayer afterwards, right? There's Peter caught in this situation where the church is praying all over this. And God is responding to this. And God is doing this miraculously. And God is intervening in this story in a way that is far beyond our ability. And we see that this author, as Luke writes Acts, is continuing to book in this with like, here's, here's what's happening. The church is praying, God is acting, right? This isn't Peter, he didn't pick the locks, he didn't really have a dream, he really got arrested. He didn't just have a dream about getting out, he really got out. And so he begins to go to this house where he knows that he has a, a church family. He, doesn't, may, he may not know they're all there right now praying, but he goes. Verse 13, and when Peter knocked on the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer, listen, recognizing Peter's voice. You heard that, right? So she knows who it is. Recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran and reported that Peter was standing outside. <laughs> I love the Bible because there's a lot of this, right? It doesn't write you a story about superheroes or never do anything wrong, right? It writes you a story about real people who look a lot like us. Oh my gosh, it's Peter. No, let's not let him in. Let's run and tell everybody else. Doesn't matter, he's on the run for his life. Don't worry about that at all. Leave him outside. It's a good idea. In her joy, God bless her, this servant girl Rhoda, who knows who it is. Now, I will note this. She's the one person who actually believes Peter's outside. She didn't handle it really well, but she knows it's Peter. She recognizes his voice. She goes to tell others, okay? And it gets better. Verse 15. They, meaning the church inside, so godly and praying for Peter deeply over a long span of time, right? Says, they said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it must be his angel. Now just let this in for a minute. What's the church praying for? More than two of you. What's the church praying for? To God, for God to intervene in Peter's release, right? However, did they pray for an angel? Did they pray for him to wake up in the middle? No, they just said, God, Peter's going to die. Like, if you don't get to him first, Peter's going to die. So they spend there. They spend time, enough time for Peter to get out of prison and come over there, right? Time in prayer together. So he knocks on the door of the gate outside the home, out, exposed <laughs> to everybody else. And the girl who hears this knows it's him, goes in and tells the praying church, God has answered your prayers, Peter's outside. And what does the church and its deep faith and wisdom do? Like, that girl's nuts, right? <laughs> we have one of those. No, I mean, I don't mean, no. So anyhow, so I, I can't do that. She's in charge of slides and she would get so mad at me right now. So anyhow, so I mean, like, you know, so uh, that'd be, that'd be. Terrible right there. Anyhow, so um, 
We're going to have like dancing baby back there instead of notes or something, right? They tell her she's wrong. Then they say it must be his angel. Like they go to such extremes to not believe God that they make up his angel. Wouldn't it be easier to believe it's him? They go all the way over here. No, that can't be true. Okay, wait a minute. What are you guys praying for? Oh, yeah, Peter's release. Okay, what are you asking God to do? Release Peter. Okay, yeah. What's going on right now? Somebody's telling you Peter got released. What are you doing? Can't happen. Okay, isn't that like all of us? Don't we all do that? Don't we profess to believe one thing and they'll live as if it's not true? Lacking belief. Thank you. Just as they were, the praying church in Acts 12 doesn't believe God has freed Peter, the church today has a tendency to profess one thing but not truly believe in it. The church today is the church there. And we will gather to pray and we will come up with any answer other than the one that God did something amazing on our behalf. Verse 16, but Peter continued knocking and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. What Pastor Joey just say a minute ago? I'm amazed at what God is doing. I don't know why I'm amazed. I mean, it's what God does, right? They're amazed. This word could really, like, I'm surprised God actually answered our prayers. It's kind of how it reads, right? <laughs> like, we were praying for it, and we were gathered together, but I'm actually kind of shocked God did what we asked him to do, right? The gospel is a story of a wayward, doubtful, distrusting, disbelieving humanity who have run headlong as fast and as far as they could from God. But God in his kindness, in his grace, and his mercy has ran faster to catch them. And he did so by entering into our story, by Jesus becoming flesh. And then he lived the life we were called to. He died the death that you and I deserve. He died the death that this crazy, crazy church that looks like us deserved to die. He died that death, but in his power, rose from the grave, showing us he can do whatever he wants to do. And that there must be sacrifice for our sin. There must be sacrifice. There must be a penalty for what we do wrong. But he loves us too much to let us bear the weight of our guilt and our shame. So Jesus endures it for us, and showing us his power raises from the grave, spends the weeks he spent with the church before ascending back into heaven. Reminding them, listen, it's better that I go away. And we've said it a ton this last year. What is better than Jesus with them? Jesus inside of them. What is better than Jesus with us in this room? Jesus inside of each one of us. He says, it's better that I go away, that I can give you the help or the spirit, the counselor, the very spirit of God, my spirit, that I can empower you for the days ahead. And as he ascends back to heaven, he reminds them, the Spirit's going to fill you with power. And you're going to be my witnesses here in this city, out to the next surrounding areas, and to the ends of the earth. The power of the gospel is in us. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you have been baptized into the faith, if you have, he has given you his spirit. He has empowered you to do what he has called us to do. He's empowered us to believe even when we're crazy and doubtful. And then he intervenes in our story as we seek him, as a body, as we pray, as we gather. 
And yet time and time again, we, we don't believe, we doubt, we question, and then honestly, we're surprised when he shows up. Verse 17, but motioning, now this is Peter, right? So uh, Peter's at the gate, knocking. The servant girl goes and runs and tells everybody out there, he's still on the run. Soldier's going to wake up eventually, right? He's still outside. After they get to the conclusion that she's not crazy, it's not an angel, they finally go out there, they see him, right? And there they are, they're outside. So here's Peter as he begins to speak. He says, now motioning them to them with his hand to be silent. Now, I, again, I know a little bit about what it looks like to be on the run from the police. So just a little bit, right? I like, so I have a story, right? And what you don't want to be doing is being out in the middle of a city at night, banging on the outside, and have everybody being really loud when you're trying to be really quiet, right? So you can imagine this group shows up, and they're being incredibly loud, and he's like, shut up! Like, they want to kill me. Did you, you not, is that not what you were praying for? Like, I'm still out here, right? Like, sweet. That's my favorite part of the story. But motioning them to, with, with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers, the other James. And then he departed and went to another place. Clearly, they were too noisy, didn't want to let him in. He's like, I got to go somewhere else, Right? But I love, what he t- I love what he tells him. I want you to share this story. You've seen me. I want you to tell others you've seen me. Sounds a lot like what Jesus says. You've seen me with your own eyes. You've experienced the gospel. You've seen me. Now I want you to go and tell others. I want you to tell others what you've seen, and that's what Peter says. There is something powerful about us sharing our story, if you're a note taker. We are repeatedly, and this I'd like you to do this in your community groups as you meet this week, we are repeatedly encouraged to tell the stories of what God has done in our lives. This reminds us of God's grace and encourage us, encourages us in our faith. Sharing the story of your life doesn't have to be the story of how you came to faith. It might be the very story of how you got through last week, right? But where God intervenes in your life, where God shows those grace stories, where God shows up in your life, sharing those stories with others is repeatedly what we are told to do. That we would encourage one another, that we would build the faith up of one another, that we would spur one another on, right, to good things, as the Bible calls us to. That we would would prop up the faith of others by what God is doing in our life, and that our faith would be propped up by what God is doing in others' lives. Verse 18, it says, now when the day had come, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers about over what had become of Peter. And after uh, Herod searched for them, they did not find him. He examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he, meaning Peter, went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Literally, the guards were executed because of Peter's release. This is how dead set, pardon the pun, this is how serious Herod was about killing Peter. Was that this was going to be a power move for Herod in this community. And when this goes away, this is a major mess up. Right? This is trending now on Twitter. Herod's not happy. Right? He literally puts them to death over over just dropping the ball completely. Not that they had a choice but over not having Peter there so he could go out and grandstand to the community. 
Verse 20, now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they, became, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the, country's, the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. Let me just, let me set the stage. This is a story that does not tie. This is another scene in Herod's life. All this stuff with Peter's gone. Peter's gone. The guards have been executed. And Herod is going on with his life. Now, there are people that come to him, and they ask him for something, plead for peace. They are dependent upon Herod. Herod is uh, another word for king in this era. And so they're pleading with Herod. So verse 21, it says, On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration or a speech to them. And the people were shouting, The voice of God, not a man. They're calling and proclaiming him God. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. I love that the story doesn't say he was just struck down. I like the was eaten by worms. I don't know why, but I just kind of like it, right? Here's what happened. Peter gets up. He gets this crowd. Not Peter, excuse me. Herod gets up and he gets this crowd all into what is going on. He's put on his royal robes and he's gone out there. And he's feeling like he's the man at this point, right? He is feeling... Like, these people are behind me. Now, we all know they're just behind him because they need something from him, right? But they are propping him up with their praise, and they're starting to call him a god, and he has taken it all in. And as he is doing this, he is feeling the power and the glory and the worship and the majesty that is only deserved to be given to God, and he is just eating it up, and literally God just strikes him dead. Let's imagine that setting for just a minute. It says, and immediately... An angel strikes him dead for not saying, listen, I'm not a god, I'm a man. I'm not it. Whatever he would say after that. But instead, he is eating it in. Now just imagine if that happened today. There's a couple notes for you. The first century church saw some incredible acts of God like the striking down of Herod. What would be your reaction if God struck someone dead for claiming to be God today? I mean, like half the rap artists out there would be dead, right? Said half their names, right? I mean, like, seriously. What if somebody claimed to be God and just was struck dead right there on a stage? Would we be shocked? Would we think it was God? When we tweeted that we thought it was God, would we be called crazy? Why? Because we just don't believe God does those kind of things anymore, right? Next slide. Next slide, please. See, that's what I get for teasing her. Sometimes doubt comes between, between believing that God can do anything, but not believing God will do what we pray for. This is disbelief in God's personal desire to answer our prayers. Here's where I'll tell you I have struggled throughout my life. Most of you know my story, uh, and most of you know my wife, right? And my wife has been chronically ill over the last, I think it's 16 years now. And so she got sick one month into seminary. And so um, she has been bedridden for the bulk of those years. And so, uh, in fact, this last week, she's had like kind of two, three good days. In fact, Brandon came over yesterday. She was able to see the house and talk to her for a minute. Uh, Today, just wrecked. She just couldn't sleep last night and a lot of pain this morning. So over those years, I've had an incredibly focused prayer life, if you would call it that, right? That there has been one driving force I've pastored multiple churches, done all kinds of things. There's been one thing that I've prayed for every day, morning, evening, you name it, all, all throughout. 
It's for God to heal her. Here's where I've struggled. I have never doubted that God can heal her. Never. People are like, how do you still, like, how do you get up there? And how do you, like, how do you do that? I've never struggled that God can heal her. I have totally struggled that God will heal her. There's a disbelief in me that creeps in between what I believe about God and what I believe about God in my life. We all tend towards something like that. Right? We all struggle with that between what God can do and what God will actually do. And in between there is disbelief about our relationship with Jesus through faith, through the gospel. That creeps in and it separates us from really living what we profess to believe. Verse 24, it says, But the word of God increased and multiplied, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. And so this last verse really tells us that the church continues to multiply. Now, let me add this. It continues to multiply, even with the crazy people gathered in that, in that house, praying and not believing God would answer their prayers which is good news. That means God can use us, as crazy as we are, and continue to multiply us. Right, that's why our mission statement is so simple. It's multiplying disciples, leaders, and churches. That we wanna see God multiply, the kingdom expand. And we have to believe that God is gonna do that. We're talking about, hey, we've got X amount of seats in our new building. And right now, we could fit into one service, but we wanna be two services. We want to do that so children's workers can serve in one service and attend another. We want to do that because we want God, we want God to, 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 to reach people. We want to make room for people that are not there yet. Love that quote from Julius Caesar. He says, there's more of Rome out there. They just don't know it yet. There's more followers of Jesus out there. They just don't know it yet. And we want to make room for them. It's not about our numbers. We send out more people than most churches 10 times our size. It is, it is not about numbers. It is not about ego. We want to see the kingdom expand. We want to plant more churches. We want to make more disciples. We want to train up more leaders that inevitably we will send right out. But it's got to start inside of us. We've got to believe what we actually profess as our faith. I'm going to give you four things. They're all in the app, so I'm going to go kind of quickly, but just four things as we close. What do we believe? Do we truly believe that Jesus is alive? that Jesus answers prayers, and that Jesus is the God who can do anything. Do we really believe that's who Jesus is? If we believe that, every prayer ought to become more faithful, ought to become more powerful. Because Jesus, who is alive, who loves us, who died for us, but who is alive can do anything. Next slide. Healing or something else. When a person is healed from a long-term drug addiction, I told you my story, there's a thousand of them just like that. After a family prays for them, do we see this as miraculous or a credit to a person or a program? Like when we see something happen in the lives of someone we've been praying for and we see, we see something just take place that's a radical transformation, we go, oh man, I'm so glad they went to that 12-step program. Or do we realize like God is in our midst using us and our prayers and every resource around us to, be, to have that prayer answered? Do we give credit to other things? Oh, we prayed for them and then we went back to the doctor and all of a sudden their cancer was gone. <laughs> Must have been a fluke, right? I mean, I, or do we believe? Next slide. 
When we pray for God to provide for us, and he does, do we remember that our finances or our skills or our health come from him and are not our own? I've watched as people have come and they have just been absolutely broke and destitute and in need. And whatever that, that could be financially or it could be otherwise. It could be relationally. It could be in their family. And they come through and, and they, they gravitate towards the church in those times of need. And they're there every Sunday and they're serving every Sunday and they're serving during the middle of the week. And they come in and they do this and they do that. And then all of a sudden God provides for them in their life and the very thing that they've been asking God to do. And you just see them drift. Well, I've been praying for a relationship. God's given me this relationship. Now I'm never around anymore. Well, I used to come all the time. Then I got this job, and I've been working a lot of overtime. And you know what, man? I used to come when I was really in need. But now I'm so busy over here because God answered my prayers. Do we really remember where all our blessing comes from? Last slide, I think, right? Where do you doubt? What are some areas in your life that you live differently than the faith you profess? Do you tell others you believe, but doubt Jesus yourself? For me, I've already shared with you, I, I struggle sometimes, oftentimes, with that Jesus can, but I struggle getting over to Jesus is going to. When that gets really bad, it's, does Jesus want to? But I know he can. But I know he can. And I have to keep going back to there is a Jesus who loves me more than I can ever understand, who loves you more than you could ever understand, who has the power more than you could ever understand. And he is awaiting doing things for us. I would say this too. The peace a church, almost any church in America is missing, is gathered corporate prayer. It's gathering together. I, I can't encourage you enough. We gather together and we pray and God does incredible things. Last time we did it, it was the last time we did it was the fourth Sunday of last month. And we did it at the new building. It was by far the youngest sailor we've ever had overall, which was amazing. And it was by far one of the larger ones. And we need that. As we go into a new area, a new town, a new city, a new building, a new, a new, new place, area for ministry opportunities, we need to not do this on Facebook ads or anything else. We need to do this built on prayer and the word of God. Do we believe what we actually profess we believe? Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. You were the God who came and entered into our story, entered into our lives, entered into, came and gave your life for us. Jesus, you're the one who loves us beyond what we can understand, that you want to do more than all we ask or imagine. And Lord, I'm taking those things just from your word because I know you, wrote, you, you gave us those words and I know they are true. And so, Jesus, help us as we doubt. Help us as we, as we just lack faith sometimes. Help us know that you're a good God, that you desire to answer us, that you desire to do what we need. And God, I'll just shamelessly right now just pray, God, will you be with Lisa? God, will you heal her? Help me to believe. Help me to trust. But Jesus, will you be with her right now at home? Will you take away the pain that she constantly struggles with? And God, for those that are here today, we all have folks that we love that are not, they're not 100%. Maybe they don't know you, and that's what our prayers are. Maybe they're sick, that's what our prayers are. But God, I pray that you would answer the prayers of our church. Call us to prayer. Give us a desire to gather together and to be a church that prays. And then when we do, let us be so bold to believe you and not doubt you.
pray.